Hello, it's Tough Broads Podcast, episode two. I'm Lauren Crocker. My husband is a podcast genius, and he's mad at me because I don't have an intro yet, but I'm working on it. Right now, I just want to get the content out. And my first Tough Broads podcast was going to be this episode that I'm doing right now. But under the current climate, racial tensions as they are, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter, protests, movement... I really wanted to have a conversation with someone that I respect and who sees things differently than I do possibly. And that was my good friend, Nicole for 20 years. So she and I, uh, having that conversation with each other was actually my first tough broads episode. And I just felt this is what it needs to be because we are a couple of broads (laughs) going through the year 2020 together, like all of us, broads, guys, whatever we are going through this strange year. And I just wanted to have that conversation with her. So that ended up being tough broads episode one. Most of the time on this podcast, I will have an interview or a guest host or somebody, but this episode I felt very important to just do by myself because I wanted to explain where the idea for this podcast came from and where the title came from. The best way to begin this project is to tell the most important story of my life. I'm obsessed with people's stories. The most important story of my life is my son's story, my son Presley's story. If you listen to our show, follow me on social media, you've heard me talk about Presley quite a bit. Maybe you're just meeting me for the first time. Presley Quinn Stakowski, our son, my husband Michael and I's son, was stillborn. August 20th of 2019. We're almost a year. I cannot even believe that. A year, Presley's birthday. Um, That was just one day before his due date. And the question I get a lot is, what happened? And it's, it's hard because I was nervous to share this. I'm nervous talking right now, and I'm sitting in a room by myself. It's very personal, and it's very hard to talk about for obvious reasons, but I do believe that my story can help other people and help other people who might know someone who's gone through a pregnancy loss, stillbirth, miscarriage, whatever the loss is, it's a terrible loss. I don't care if it's eight weeks into your pregnancy, six weeks into your pregnancy, or 39 weeks and six days like our pregnancy. A pregnancy lost is shattering. And so I like to open up and tell my story and talk about it as much as I can because I want to help other people. That's why I do it. So what happened to Presley? I woke up that morning on August 20th, 2019, feeling like I was going into labor. I was scheduled to go into a doctor's office appointment for a non-stress test, and that was going to be my first one. Everything in my pregnancy had been perfect. We had the air quote, perfect pregnancy. We got pregnant super quick with Presley. Uh, Michael and I had just gotten married and we were just like, let's try and see if it happens. Boom. It happens very quickly. Two cycles maybe. And I, at the time was 38 and I'm like, Whoa, I thought it was going to be hard because I'm over 35 and I was nervous, but it happened super fast. And we went through the pregnancy with no issue. Presley was growing. He was wonderful. All the scans came back normal. My, the only thing I can say about my pregnancy, I gained so much weight. I gained 65 pounds and that was probably too much, but my wonderful doctor never made me feel bad about it. And we were just going along. I never thought anything could happen at the end of a pregnancy as a woman. 
And as someone who's known women to be pregnant, I have always heard those first 12 weeks and get through the first trimester. And and I had nerves during that time. But once you kind of sail through that, which luckily we did, I felt like, here we go. Like, we're good. We're going to have a baby. You just don't think something can happen this late in the game. It turns out that it can. We were going to go to our doctor's office, but I was in labor. So I called my doctor's office and said, should I still come there, go to the hospital? They said, please come here. We'll do the non-stress test. We'll see where you are. And I was packed. We, Michael and I said, we're going to go to the doctor's office and we're going to the hospital. Like we just willed it because we wanted to have our baby boy. Like I was ready. It was August. I was hot. I was pregnant and we really wanted to meet him. And so we were packed. We kissed our dogs, Maui and Rosie goodbye and said, next time mommy comes home, she's going to be coming home with a baby. And we left and we went to the doctor's office and at the doctor's office, I went back into the room and the nurses there were trying to hook up the non-stress test and um they just couldn't find a heartbeat now as babies get bigger that you think everything is easier but it's actually harder because they kind of take up so much room so there was no concern at first I was on the table I was having contractions I was in pain and they kept I remember the nurses kept asking me to move to this side move to that side I'm just like oh my god can we just find this heartbeat already because I'm in so much pain and after what I felt was forever Um, there's still no heartbeat and nurse after nurse is trying. And that's when I started to panic and my panic turned into silence. I just laid there in complete silence. My husband started getting really nervous and asking a lot of questions. And then my wonderful doctor came in and we're like, okay, he'll find it. And he couldn't find it either. So that's when we were moved to the ultrasound room. And by the time we were walking to the ultrasound room, everything starts to become a blur for me because I think I knew everything in my body at that point that there was no heartbeat and sure enough that's what we discovered in the ultrasound room and that moment and those words I will never forget in my life I'm sorry but there is no heartbeat Um, that's something that no parent should ever have to hear and it really uh, was our, our world stopped in that moment and was changed forever after that uh, we had to go to the hospital um, I was able to have a C-section delivery. Presley was a big boy and everyone knew he was going to be a big boy. So, you know, I think it was going to be my first delivery. We just opted for the C-section for uh, so many reasons. And I was able to have more powerful drugs than more moms can have during c-sections because there wasn't a live baby so the c-section for me uh physically was very easy because i didn't feel a thing i was awake during it and my poor husband and i will say this many times during this episode but my husband is 100 percent my rock and i don't know if i would have gotten through that without him and i don't know where i'd be today without him but he had to without drugs uh hold my hand and not only be under the terrible knowing that his son is about to be born dead but he was worried about me I was having surgery and uh it must have been the worst pain for him and horrifying for him and he was cool as a cucumber and he was just there to be with me and to hold my hand and to make sure I was okay Presley is born and I'm stitched up and back to the room we go from that moment on again a whole new blur the whole hospital time for me is is very much a blur um and one of the things that I just wasn't expecting or I never thought was going to be a thing was that 
we were all of a sudden having conversations with our nurses about how we want to hold him and spend time with him. And I just never really realized that that was something that you do. Um, and it was very, very difficult for me to hold my son and to say those words now, it's hard because I feel like now looking back, what kind of mother was I? (laughs) How could have I even questioned that? Of course I want to hold my son. Of course I want to be with my son. But in that moment and the work that I've done since then, I think that I realized in that moment, holding him meant he's real. And if he's real, that means that he's really gone. And I think that's really what was coursing through my mind and my heart and my body. And plus I had just had surgery and the whole thing. And I just was very, very hesitant. Now my husband, um, you know, was able to hold him right away and he was sitting next to me. And so I was able to see Presley and touch Presley and the hospital does a beautiful job and he's dressed and adorable. And, you know, he was the most beautiful baby I'd ever seen. And my husband was, you know, breaking down, crying. He's holding his, his dead son in his arms. And I still was not able to hold our son. I was still scared. And it took encouragement from my nurses, from my husband, from family members, from friends. You know, Lauren, you really need to hold your son. You, you, you really need to do this. And I will never forget... Um, one of the best nurses around, her name is Darlene. All my nurses were amazing and I'll talk about them all. And I remember she told me that moms will come back, you know, after this happens and they'll regret that they never held their baby. And so something clicked in my mind. Something was able to grab me back into reality and I was ready. I was ready to hold him. And I have to tell you that to this day, um, holding that baby was the most beautiful and most painful moment of my life. Um, my whole body just calmed down and relaxed when I was holding him. And I it sounds so messed up. And if you've never been through this, I probably sound like an insane person to you right now, but it's true. And, um, I was so peaceful when he was in my arms. I would cry when he wasn't with me, but when he was with me, everything was okay. And it, you know, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's, Again, anyone who's gone through it, my heart is with you. Um, anybody who's gone through any kind of loss, my heart is with you. But this in particular, I mean, it's, it's not natural and nobody should ever go through it. So we had access to Presley because I had a C-section. I was in the hospital for a few days. Um, we had access to Presley whenever we wanted to. We had him. We would hold him. You know, our family members got to meet him, some close family members that came to visit. And um, the hospital did a wonderful job with a terrible situation a terrible, terrible situation. And they were wonderful to us. And they give you so many mementos. You get the footprints and the handprints. Um, I have a beautiful little ring that, that one of the nurses gave to my son that I wear now on my necklace every day. Um, you get pictures. I mean, they really do a nice job because you just, just have a baby. I mean, it's your baby. And, um, you know, the rest of the hospital stay, like I said, everything is kind of a blur during that week. I remember it was a Tuesday and I remember I got home Friday. That's all I know. Um, other than that, everything is, is, is come and go because we had wonderful family there. We had friends there. We had so much love and support, but it's all just happening to you. You're having conversations with people that 
you never should have. You're having to talk about, you know, whether you're going to bury your son or cremate him. You're having to talk about if you're deciding to have a funeral. You're having to talk about these things that no parent should ever have to talk about. And we were having to have these conversations. So we get home from uh, the hospital and I begin to heal physically. And we have more family and friends around. My uncle donated a beautiful vacation home to us in Cape Cod in Provincetown where we got married. And we went there for two weeks and just kind of got out of Dodge. Um, Our house was filled with friends and family and flowers and food and, you know, everybody, my coworkers, my friends, everybody, people flew in. Um, We live here in Detroit. Most of our family's on the East Coast. I mean, we were surrounded by love. But at the same time, we just needed to get out. So we grabbed the dogs and we drove to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I should say this. My husband drove nonstop besides a few bathroom breaks, like a 15, 16 hour trip. That's how ready we were to just be in a different space and in a, in a happier place. And he did it in one trip. God bless him. I couldn't drive yet because of my C-section. And we got there and again, more friends, more family and just more love and support And before we went on that trip, we had a doctor's appointment with my doctor and we chose to have an autopsy on our son Presley because we had no idea what happened. And that happens a lot for stillbirth and stillborn babies. You don't know what happens. Sometimes there's a very clear reason and sometimes there is not. And we wanted to know because we wanted to know if it was something in my body, if it was something that had happened, if we would ever be able to have more children. We just wanted to know he was our baby and we wanted to know what happened. And so we did. And we found out that our son passed away of one of the most rare incidents I've ever heard of. Even my doctor had never heard of something to the extent of what our son uh, eventually died from. What happened was within the last few days before he was born, and it happened very fast, somehow a bacteria entered my body, uh, traveled through the umbilical cord, crossed the placenta through the umbilical cord, and landed in Presley's lung. This is a strain of bacteria that can be found in a common item. It's supposed to be non-toxic to humans. It's out in products that you can buy, and it's not supposed to cause any harm to humans, especially unborn babies. This is not a dangerous strain of bacteria. Nobody knows how I got it. Nobody knows if I ate it. Nobody knows if I breathed it in. It got into my body and it got into Presley and he passed away of a lung infection, kind of like a pneumonia. Learning that information was (laughs) in the beginning. I don't even know if I would call it a relief. At least we had an answer, but then it just brought on even more of holy shit. Did I do something wrong to kill my son? Hearing that it's very rare And hearing that it's like a lightning striking a lightning bolt, which was said to us at one point, it gave us some semblance of a relief that we could probably get pregnant again and have another child and wouldn't have to worry about a repeat situation. It wasn't a genetic thing. It wasn't a biological thing that I passed on to him. It was a rare, terrible, terrible 
fluke that took our son from us and took him from us while he was still inside my body. And there was nothing we could have done. There was nothing that anyone else could have done. I had had a heartbeat ultrasound uh, just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So just four days before, four or five days before, and everything was perfect. And he was what I thought just kind of slowing down in my stomach because I was told that when babies sometimes get bigger, they will slow down their movements. A lot of moms are told that. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't feeling him as much, but I certainly didn't think anything was wrong until I found out something was wrong. So finding out that information was huge for us. And it was, again, another blow. Nothing makes it better, but it was good. Knowledge is power. And it was good at least a little bit to know that. But it doesn't take away the pain. And it doesn't take away the anxiety. And it doesn't take away the stress that we're going through. And at the end of the day, whatever the answer was, it doesn't bring our baby Presley back. It just doesn't. Our situation is very rare. However, I will tell you, and this is what I do when I when my brain goes into anxiety, whatever, I, I research, right? And anybody I think would. You want to know. And I found out that the CDC says stillbirth affects about 1 in 160 births each year and about 24,000 babies are stillborn in the United States. That comes from the CDC. I'm not a doctor. This is about the same number of babies that die during the first year of life and is more than 10 times as many deaths as the number that occur from SIDS. Now, here's the thing, and I don't know about you, and, and, and what I found out and I'll get to the listeners, our listeners in a second. What I found out is that this is more common than I thought. When I, for, I first found out that I had a stillbirth, a stillborn baby, when I filled out my son's death certificate. I just assumed in my brain that I had a miscarriage, that I had a late-term miscarriage. I didn't even know if I know that, knew that term at the time. I just kept thinking in my mind, I had a miscarriage. Like I had a miscarriage. And then I saw the words stillbirth. And it brought me back to 1940s, 1930s, you know, 1800s even. Thinking of when women had to have babies in terrible conditions and more medical complications happened. That's what I thought of when I think of stillbirth. I don't think of modern medicine and wonderful doctors who cared for me my whole pregnancy and me taking care of myself. And, and I was shocked. I was shocked. And I have to tell you something, it almost made it worse because at least with a miscarriage, we hear the word miscarriage a lot in our society. And uh, let me tell you something, we don't hear it enough because there's so many other women, more women who go through it and suffer in silence than do t- or feel comfortable to talk about it. And I want to change that. But we do hear the word miscarriage. So to be put into that club is sad and it's terrible and it should never have to happen. But then to be put into another club that is even a smaller group and that feels even more isolating. It was just this isolating, like who has stillborn babies? Me? Am I the only one since the 1920? I mean, this is what I kept telling myself. How can I have a stillborn baby? I don't understand. Like I, I really had a hard time understanding until I started doing the research. And yes, 
they still happen. And the reason why stillbirths are so scary is because many of the things that they say are increased risks are things that we can't control. Um, these are the risks that I'm getting from the CDC. African-American race. You can't help that. That's who put you in a high risk for stillbirth. Age 35 years or older. Now, I couldn't help that. I was 38. Now, you can plan to have your children younger, but okay. Smoke cigarettes during pregnancy. Yeah, you shouldn't do that, right? Have certain medical conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. Guess what? These things are dangerous for anything that can go wrong in pregnancy. Having multiple pregnancies such as triplets or quadruplets. Can't help that most of the time. Um, or had a previous pregnancy loss. And again, can't help that. So you're looking at these things and you're like, what could I have done to prevent this? I did everything on this chart that I could do to make sure my baby was healthy and to make sure this pregnancy was healthy. And I'm a mother of a stillborn baby. And it was just so frustrating to me. And it was so isolating. It was so isolating. And that's why I keep saying, I want to talk about this and make this aware, even though it hurts. And even though this is weird, and even though I feel so naked right now, I want to talk about it because more people need to know that, yes, unfortunately this happens. And I had the most wonderful medical team. I had everybody caring about me. I love them. They took such great care of me. This was nothing that anybody could have done different. This happened and it happened to us and it happened to my baby boy. And I just want other parents and other moms to know that you, I know that feeling of, of being isolated. And I know that feeling of, Oh my God, like what did my body do? What did I do wrong? And you did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. You care for that baby the best that you could. And that brings me to going back to work and our amazing listeners. So after we had Presley, we decided because of the work that both my husband and I do, we're both very open with our lives on social media. I'm on the air on 96.3 WDVD, the Blaine Fowler Morning Show. I share everything about my life. Of course, I talked about this pregnancy nonstop. I mean, I was so excited. This is, I was so excited. And here we are. I'm starting to get messages and texts and where's the baby? Where's the baby? I mean, people didn't know my exact due date, but they knew that I had left for maternity leave just the Friday before. And you know, it was going to happen. And I just thought I have to make some kind of announcement or statement because I can't, you emotionally, you can't answer people having to call people and tell people the news that you had a stillborn child is terrible because you're giving people who care about you bad news. All those phone calls were like reopening the fresh wound all over again. And my husband had to make phone calls. I had to make phone calls. Eventually we were texting people. Eventually we were calling people, asking them to call people because it's just so hard because everyone on the other end of the phone cries for you and you're ruining their day with this terrible news. And so I couldn't do that to our wonderful listeners and the people I associate with on social media and talk to and share stories with. So we decided, and I have to say my coworkers, my guys, Blaine and Matt were in the hospital and you know, we had good talks about it. We're like, we got to do this on the show. So together, my husband, who's an amazing writer, he wrote it, but together we came up with a beautiful statement and Blaine was 
kind enough and open enough to read it for me on air because there was no way I was going to be able to talk about this on the air at that time. And he did. And that's how we told our listeners. And that's how we told people who were waiting to hear about our bouncing baby boy. And we listened to it. It aired on the morning that I was leaving the hospital. We had our family in the room and we all sat and listened to it. And we cried and we held hands. And Blaine did such a a beautiful job. And I will thank him forever for what he did for us of sharing our story with people. And it was therapeutic. I thought it was going to be terrible. I almost didn't listen because I didn't think I could. And then immediately the people that were calling in and sharing their stories and doing it on the radio to complete strangers just so that they could share their story to maybe help. And also because they felt like they could relate to somebody going through this. And that touched me. And it t- to this day touches me more than you know, because it was just to hear these stories of people who knew somebody had gone through it themselves, anything, family members, um, just people just opening their hearts and sharing their stories. And on social media, I have to say it was so overwhelming. I couldn't read a lot of the social media posts for a few days and we had so many people there. But once we sat down and we read letters that were written to the radio station and, and all the stuff, it was, it was magical. And it was really besides our family and our friends and each other, it was really a step forward for Michael and I to begin our healing process. And I truly, truly believe that because it's so warming and, and comforting to have the support of your family and friends and people close to you, but to have the support of people who you don't even know, people who maybe have listened to you blab on the radio about stupid crap. And here they are supporting you and hugging you from afar, that love and that warmth, I'm telling you, kickstarted our healing process and really, really helped us more than you know. So if you're listening to this now and you're one of those people, this is my giant thank you because there were so many people. I, I wish I could thank everyone personally, but you helped more than you know. And that's why the least I can do is share my story and really um, be open with you because I just want to help. That's all I want to do is help. I want to help other people who have to go through this or who have already been through this and feel completely isolated like I did. And by the way, there are days where I still feel completely isolated. And I think of the comments and messages and emails and calls from complete strangers and they comfort me on those days. So again, I cannot say thank you enough. Where are we now? Well, I'm recording this. It's the beginning of July. Next month is August. It's going to be a year, which some days feels like it's been 20 years. And some days it's so raw. It feels like it happened yesterday. Um, Our baby boy is with us every single day. Um, That boy is on my mind every minute of every day. He's in my heart. Um, I think about him. We think about him. What would he be doing today? Um, Would he be crawling? Would he be walking? Would he be teething? There were a couple women who I was friends with on social media and some women I knew in my life were pregnant around the same time as me. And I see their babies and I see what they're doing. And I'm like, wow, you know, 
would Presley be doing that right now? <laughs> um, it's hard. It's hard. It, it sucks. And the thing about grief that I'm learning is that I don't believe in stages. I believe there are stages, but I don't believe they don't go in order. I don't believe they go in order. And I do believe that you just can't make a roadmap because some days, I, I wouldn't say that I've had a full day of not thinking about Presley. I've, I've thought of him every single day, but there are some days where it will hit me in the middle of the day. Like, I don't think I've been sad today, or I don't think I've thought of him yet today. And that kind of feels sad and I feel guilty in a way, <laughs> but I also feel a sense of relief and time, healing, therapy, each other. My husband is the most wonderful man. He is, he has the heart so big. He is stern and stubborn, but he just wants to care for me. He puts my needs first all the time. And it breaks my heart because for him, because he, he is the best father and he would have been the best father to Presley and he will be the best father uh, to our future children. But he just, he just has it. You just, some people it's just, you know, naturally they're going to have it. And he has that. And so my heart breaks for him every day, just like his breaks for me, but we get each other through. And I will say, and we've said this from the beginning, a gift that our son gave to us is that Michael and I are closer than we've ever been. And that's because of our boy, because we got close, even we bonded during the pregnancy and then going through the trauma we've, we've bonded. So that's a gift from our boy. Um, I feel him all the time. I feel him with me. I see things that remind me of him. I hear things. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's all around you, right? I feel him all around me all the time. He's my son. And it's been one of the hardest things as well is, how do you feel like a mother when your baby is not here? I feel like a mother. I feel different. And I'm changed, obviously, I've gone through this event, but I'm also changed because I feel like a mother and my child is not here. And that's very difficult to navigate. And that's very, very hard to feel. And it's embarrassing. Mother's Day was weird for me because I felt like I didn't deserve <laughs> Mother's Day, um, because my child's not here. And to any mom that feels that way, you 100% deserve Mother's Day. 100%. You deserve everything else that any mother has. You just, it's not your fault that your baby's not here. And it's a, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. Same with Father's Day. You know, but my husband and I did our best to lift each other up on those days and any hard days that we have and have had through this first year. So I would say, you know, I don't like to speak for my husband, but I would say, you know, almost a year out, I'm okay. And I'm pushing forward and I am constantly living the line between always remembering and loving and, and wanting my pregnancy back with Presley and, and wanting those d minutes before finding out that his heartbeat was no longer to be back, but also realizing that I have to live my life too. And I have to continue on with his love and his memory and his spirit within me and around me. Um, and then some days I'm not that okay. And that's okay too. Uh, but that's where we are today. And we are trying again. Uh, we are trying again for another child. And that's something else that you go through parenting, uh, trying to get pregnant after loss, trying to conceive after loss. I've become such a 
a researcher. I know all the lingo. TTC after a pregnancy loss. It's difficult because Presley did come so easily to us. By the way, can I talk about how perfect my son was? Is I mean, he was born. We knew he was going to be big. Nine pounds, 13 ounces. He was 20 and a half inches long, which was, by the way, exactly Michael's length. He was exactly Michael's length and uh, beautiful blonde hair. People kept telling me in the hospital that he looked like me, but all I saw was Michael when I looked at him. All I saw was Michael, with the exception of the blonde hair. Maybe that was a little bit of me. And, you know, he came so easily to us. And it's something that I know women struggle with after a pregnancy loss. And again, no matter at one point in the pregnancy, you think your body is broken and you think your body can't do it. And you think that you are going to fail at your next pregnancy as well. And it's really, really hard to get over those thoughts. And so trying for a baby this time, number one, it's taking us longer. Um, We're not getting pregnant as easily as we did with Presley. And there's probably many factors, but we have actually started fertility treatments and I will talk more on that in other podcasts. But it's impossible for me not to doubt myself, but I have to try and I have to just be positive and I know that my body can carry a healthy baby. I know that we can get pregnant. I am older. I'm 39 now. I'll be 40 in November. And it's no secret that women my age are considered ancient in the fertility world. It doesn't mean that it won't happen, but it could be more difficult. But we're doing everything we can and we're trying to give Presley a baby brother or sister. And it's never to replace our son. Nobody will ever replace our son, obviously. But if you've gone through a loss and you are contemplating having another child and you are feeling that guilt, I get it. I 100% get it. Because how can you not? But it's not about replacing. It's about adding to your family. And it's about thinking your baby. I know Presley wants us to be happy. And I know Presley thinks we're badass parents. And we should have a baby here to be badass parents, too. And so that's where we are and we're navigating and we're getting through. I am proud of us for getting this far. My heart continuously breaks for people. I've heard from people all year. People reach out to me when they go through a loss. People reach out to me when a friend of theirs goes through a loss and we talk and we chat, whether it's in the DMs or, you know, Facebook Messenger, whatever. And I just do what people did for me, which was be an ear and be a support and just try to listen and hear you. Because this is something, like I said before, that no parent should ever have to go through. If you have to go through it, which I hope I don't wish on anybody, if you have to go through it, feeling alone is even worse. And feeling alone, going, feeling like you're going through something like this without any support, I can't even imagine. So I just want to be a support back. And that's why I am inspired to do this episode of Tough Broads. That's why Tough Broads started. How did I get the name Tough Broads? Well, it's funny. My husband, he's a New Yorker, and he'll say broads is kind of like a funny, you know, he doesn't really call me a broad, but sometimes in the kitchen or when we're joking around, he'd be like, yeah, broad, whatever. And I love when he says that. I think it's adorable. I've always been a sucker for a New York accent. And we were in the hospital, I believe. And again, this is all a blur, so I don't remember the full story. But at one point, he was kind of laughing and joking with a, a nurse, and he was like, yeah, my wife will be able to do that. She's a tough broad. It made me smile. 
<laughs> and it made me laugh in that moment, which I know that I needed. And um, it also made me kind of think like, oh, he thinks I'm tough. Uh, because guess what? I don't feel tough. <laughs> I feel like a big puddle of nothing right now. And my husband seems to think that I'm tough. And that meant the world to me in that moment. So that's where Tough Broads came from. And that's why I call this podcast Tough Broads. This podcast will have men and women and anybody, any human. I don't care, sexuality, gender, whatever. It's not just about women. But I just love that name. And I love in which the name came to be. So that is this episode. Um, I'm sorry if it's emotional and I'm sorry if it's a down episode, but it's important to me. I'm not sorry, actually, because I wanted to talk about this. It's important to me. And I think it's important to anyone who needed to hear this today. I, I hope that it helped you. Uh, next episode will be more in keeping with sharing stories and interviews, but this will not be the last time that I talk about pregnancy loss, child loss, infant loss, and it won't be the last time I talk about uh, trying to conceive journey. So if you are interested in those things, if you're going through that stuff right now, you will find that here. So again, you can subscribe. You can listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and I'm on Podbean. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my story. It means the world to me. And thank you for listening to Tough Broads. <laughs>